Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to TCK Care the Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Black, joining you with more stories and strategies for supporting TCKs in all walks of life. And joining us on the show today are two very special guests, and this is the first time that I've had two guests, and these guests are special to me because they are, in fact, the people who uh, introduced me to TCK Care, my parents. Uh, Jim and Lisa Black are coming on the show to talk with us today about advocacy and raising TCKs. So, Jim and Lisa Black, a.k.a. Mom and Papa, welcome to the show. Thanks. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, Stephen. Glad to be on the show with you today. Yeah, glad to have you guys here. Uh, okay, so I know that uh, you guys are pretty busy people. You like traveling around, seeing the world and that kind of thing. And you just uh, spent some time away visiting your most recent uh, grandbaby. Is that right? Yes, it is. We yes. got to see our newest granddaughter. And I was trying to I was trying to count, uh, and I couldn't come up with a number. What number is this now for you guys? This is number 10. Ooh. This is our 10th grandchild. Yeah. We Fantastic. have seven grandsons, and we thought we weren't going to get any granddaughters, but now, after seven grandsons, we have three granddaughters. That's very exciting. The, the real reason, I'm reining myself in here, the real reason we've come is to talk about TCK issues, and speaking of which, I have to ask you the million-dollar TCK question. Guys, where are you from? Who do you want to go first? You can both talk at the same time and like talk over each other, or whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was born in the United States Air Force, and so we moved around a lot until I was 10. We lived in uh, Ogden, Utah, then Brussels, Belgium, Tacoma, Washington, Tucson, Arizona. My dad retired. We moved back to Washington. We grew up there for a while, then went to college in Canada and moved back to the Seattle area, to Los Angeles area, back up to Washington and then anyway it it that's a hard it's a hard question to answer it's 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 not a it's not a sentence it's more like a story so yeah i usually tell people i'm a west coast girl originally Mm -hmm. i grew up on the west coast so i was born in southern california in the los angeles area Mm -hmm. and we lived there until i was nine years old and then we moved to western washington where i spent the second half of my childhood i went back to california to go to uh to go to college, but I was counting just every once in a while, I think about different moves that we made. We moved a lot just because my dad liked to move. He would get tired of the neighbors. He'd get tired of his job. He'd come home from work and say, "Um, I quit my job, we're moving. And last night, I wasn't even thinking about this podcast. I was counting up on my fingers while I was driving home from Fargo trying to stay awake, how many times I moved. And I realized I moved like 35 times that I can remember before I was 49. It was by the time I was 49, I had moved at least 35 times. Uh, A lot of times it was just in the same town, but Mm -hmm. it always involved changing schools. Mm. Wow. Do you have any any idea how many schools you had attended? I think about seven schools by the time I was eighth grade. And we moved the summer before my eighth grade. And I begged to please let me go to the same school again because it was eighth grade. And I didn't want to change schools then. So my sister would drop me off. We didn't tell the school that we moved is what we did. My sister would drop me off at a bus stop that went to my old school. And then after school, she picked me up and took me home so that I could avoid one, one change in my life. Wow. So the longest I'd ever lived anywhere was five years until we moved where we are now in North Dakota. And we've lived here for 10 years. So then when you think, you know, 35 moves, that's a lot of moves. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of moves. 
Oh my goodness! And if I can just take a moment to talk about the um, the methodology of answering the "Where You're From" story. If you guys were listening to that, Jim said I was born in the Air Force, so his story involved um, his family's experience, right? Like a environmental factor that he wasn't. He didn't tell you the location of his birthplace. He associated a life event with an environmental experience. So he was born when his family was in the Air Force. Completely, you know, valid, relevant way to go about telling your story and then uh lisa was talking about uh being from the west coast so you know it's she has a, a long and complicated story but she's able to kind of summarize it by just saying west coast you know and you can get into the details with people if they're really curious and if you feel comfortable talking about that but it's just it's just an interesting way to hear different ways to t- answer the where you're from question and to talk about your story which as we know is a big tck hot topic so thanks for sharing your stories guys it's very cool and that explains you know some of why we were so comfortable moving around perhaps too that you guys were doing this long before uh, long before i came around yeah yeah so tell me um with all of the experience that you had moving from place to place um growing up um how was that similar or dissimilar to moving to nigeria for the first time Hmm. Well, I think that was that was a very different kind of move because one, we were we were the parents and we were moving our family yeah. and we we're moving our family into a totally different culture. So that was um, that was very different from just moving around within the U.S. or even in, in you know going to college in Canada. Uh, it was very different for me, especially in the fact that I. In light of the fact that I had uh, a wife and kids that were, you know, I'm I'm moving them to a different culture, and that was, that was more trying and more, I don't know, just different and 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 somehow more difficult for me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. At first, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, because when when you move um, cross culturally as say a single person or even as a couple you know you're moving as a couple and you've made the decision together but when you move with kids you have to think about how is this going to affect them not yeah. only now but how's it going to affect them in the future what's this going to mean to them yeah and it's difficult to say isn't it yeah you can't guess you have no idea really you try to make guesses but you can't yeah so what were some of the best parts of raising tck's overseas Hmm. I think uh, um, just the the family that we had <clears throat> in Nigeria, we had we didn't have biological family, but we had adopted family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember uh, I can't remember if it was you or your brother um, when when mom and I were gone. You said, "Well, just give me my black mommy," and uh, <laughs> you know, because you were happy if we were absent, you were happy to be on the back. Of one of our Nigerian uh, friends or colleagues, and uh, the people there just loved our kids. Mm. They, they yeah. really did. They loved our kids like crazy. Mm. Um, and and our daughter Amanda is back there now, and they not only still love her, but they love her children too. You know, it's just it's just cool to see that third generation. Yeah, yeah. and it yeah, and we had a really cool extended family in our mission family with the the missionary aunties and uncles that. Um, it is in a lot of ways is closer than our biological 
aunties and uncles that you would would that you have in the states because right. you lived among them and they know you in a different way and in a different context. They know who you really are. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I thought well, some of the really fun stuff about raising kids in Nigeria in particular is that I felt like you kids had the freedom to be kids. And um, we didn't worry so much about if you're going to get hurt or drowned or whatever. We just let you go kind of wild. You know, you were set loose to do and explore, uh, run barefoot. You climbed to the tops of trees and there were no neighbors calling saying, do you realize Stevens at the top of the tallest tree in this block? <laughs> Which I did get when we lived in California, not in California, in uh, British Columbia. When we lived in Vancouver, neighbors would actually call me and tell me, you know, your son is up in the tallest tree on this block, which is really tall because it's a fir tree, and he's barefoot, and he's three years old. Do you realize that? And I'd say, oh, yeah, he'll come down. Are you sure he's okay? Maybe we should call the police or call the fire department. No, he's fine. <laughs> but in Nigeria, people didn't worry about so much about, uh, not that they didn't care, but they just, you know, kids are kids. Let them yeah. play. Yeah, right. And we did get And they might get hurt. And we did get hurt on occasion, but... Um... For the most part, we turned out okay, and yeah, I, I like that that experience too. There's something particularly beautiful about being raised out in the bush, out in farm country, where things are relatively quiet and safe, and kids can be kids, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. Right. I do remember telling you guys sometimes, don't give me too many details about where you want to go and what you plan to do, because if you <laughs> give me too many details, it might scare me, and I might say no. So just kind of give me a general idea of what your plan is. And general idea of where you're going to be so I can send somebody to look for you if you don't come home in time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mom, we're going to be playing in the trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and sometimes you guys right. would come home with the biggest scrapes on your arms and legs. And you'd be like, oh, we rode down this one hill on Stephen's um, skateboard. skateboard. And yeah. we went flying. We hit, we hit a roof. Yeah. And not a root. A root. And... It was so much fun, and you're bleeding, but you didn't care because you had so much fun. Nothing yeah. was broken. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, <laughs> this podcast is wildly entertaining for me, just in case you are listening to this and can't see the smile on my face. This is this is fascinating. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. So um, if I can turn it around, then what were some of the hardest part of uh, hardest parts of raising TCKs? Um, loneliness, I think, for them, especially. Because mm -hmm. we left a lot of good friends behind. Mm -hmm. And they would miss them. And you had to figure out ways to help them deal with that. Yeah. Because mail took six weeks to get one way. Yeah. So it's not like you can call somebody and say, hey, I miss you. Yeah. Yeah, our kids being separated from their friends and our kids being separated from their cousins, their their grandparents. That was that was hard. It's yeah. difficult. Mm -hmm. It's a part of the reality of missionary life. There's a, there's a price to pay. Uh, there's there's lots to be gained, but there's definitely a price to pay. Yeah. Yeah, right. and you you all made really good friends there. You really did. But there were points in life where you realized you're different and you'll never really be one of them. Mm -hmm. You yeah, know, you love each other. You loved your friends. They loved you. But somewhere in there, you realized 
I'm never really going to be one of them. I will never really fit here. And then when we came back to the States, it, it was increased just hugely because you look like everybody, but you weren't anything like them on the inside. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard to work through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That created a, a whole more intense loneliness for each one of you as you adjusted to learning how to live in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think some sometimes I believe that uh, the the um, cultural experience of coming home, coming back to your passport country, can be more difficult. And we found that with our kids, it, that there were some there were some real crises um, with our kids coming back to our passport country. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've actually started using the phrase, statistically speaking, not because it's true, but just because it makes me sound smart. Statistically <laughs> speaking, it's always harder to come back. Reentry is always harder than going overseas. And again, it I, is. I, I can't quantify that, but statistically speaking, it's true. So there you go. Yeah, you and go. I, I think part of that is because when we go to another country, like when we first went, you guys were all really small. Amanda was only four. You were eight months old, and Daniel hadn't been born yet. Yeah. And Jim and I did everything we could to prepare ourselves. We're going to go to a different culture. How do you, how do you adjust to another culture? How do you do the culture shock thing? Um, how do you help your kids through it? But there was nothing, uh, there was no automatic thing to help us readjust to American culture. You know, nobody said, read this book, do this, do this. Because I think the assumption is, is that you're American. And when you come back, you'll just fit and you'll just figure it out. And they don't realize that even as adults, we may not be third culture kids, but um, the time there has changed us mm -hmm. and we are not the same. Right. Now, there are resources for families coming back. The whole reentry thing is, I think people have delved into that issue a lot more uh, at this point in history than, they, than, than was the case when we were first going out to, uh, to uh, a mission field. Um, just today, I was made aware of some resources uh, huh. in terms of reentry. Yeah. When we came back, when Amanda was seven and stayed five years in Canada, uh, you guys adjusted pretty quickly and pretty well. We had a very international church, which helped. Mm -hmm. So um, we weren't really considered outsiders. In fact, the church was like, wow, your kids are the first kids to go up front and sit with all these kids that are from Asia and Africa and all these other places because you didn't realize that they were strange. Because they weren't. They mm -hmm. were just more kids. Mm. Um, but as teenagers, that was hard. And I actually wrote the mission and said, can you send us some books on American culture because that would be good for teenagers to read? Because especially our oldest daughter, Amanda, I knew she was going to have a hard time. She's very Nigerian on the inside. And um, she was going to have a hard time. She did not like America. She thought Americans are rude and disrespectful and I kept trying to tell her a lot of the stuff seems disrespectful and it seems rude and yes they can be those things but a lot of it is just a cultural way of relating to people that's different it's not better or worse it's different but she didn't want to hear it from me so we got her books and she read the books and then she come out to the dining room table and say do you realize Americans don't like to smell your perfume more than three feet away they think it's too much isn't that just ridiculous <laughs> But when she got it from a neutral source that wasn't a mom or a dad, she could hear it better. Yeah, of course. And if you're listening to TCK Care, the podcast, and need a neutral source for you or your kids, um, as of the 
posting of this episode. I am currently working on growing a uh, library of recommended uh, books um, that's available on tckcare.com. Um, you just uh, hit the menu bar at the top and head over to the book section. There's a bunch of books there for different ages from kids all the way up to adults to um, talk about transitional issues, TCK issues, grief, loss, reentry, etc. So if you're listening on this and need some resources, um, I could uh, post a couple in the episode notes, absolutely. And then also, like I said, go over to the resource section on tckcare.com and check that out. So there's that for you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing some of those experiences. That's yeah, it's really good to hear. And then um, one thing that came to mind as you were talking, I wanted to ask, what were some of the ways that you um, that you found yourself advocating for your family in the middle of all this transition? Like you said, you came back to North America when um, your oldest was when when Amanda, my sister, was seven, and I would have been what three at the time. Daniel would have been one. Mm-hmm. Megan would have been six. Five. Well, Amanda turned seven right after we came. So Amanda was six. Megan was five. You were three. Daniel was not quite two. Right. And then you went back to Nigeria again after five years, then came back for a home assignment in the middle of your time there, and then came back to America as a family for the final time um, when Amanda was, I want to say... Almost 18. 17 going on 18, and then Megan would have been 16. I was 14, and Daniel was 12. Yep. So in that coming and going, there was a lot of transition that happened there. Um, what were some of the ways that you found yourself advocating for um, your family? I think, first of all, when we came back um, after our first term, um, our mission interviewed me on on our return, but they didn't interview mom or any of your kids. Mm-hmm. And mom really needed some help. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, but uh, the mission didn't have a policy of interviewing uh, both the, the man and the woman, uh, the team. They only interviewed the man. And so we brought that up to them, um, and they changed their policy and mm-hmm. decided, yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, you're both missionaries, mm-hmm. and you both probably have issues. And so they started uh, – our, our, our mission agency um, had a policy of uh, – they had a team – from the from our mission office went and as soon as we came back they would interview us um as a team but like i said you know they started just we're only interviewing the 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 man but then because we uh, advocated for ourselves they started uh, interviewing both the man and woman Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they also um I think because we mentioned that I was such a mess when we came back after the first term, because there were a lot of really hard things that happened there um, at that point, especially with you and Daniel being really, really sick, and I didn't think you'd survive. Um, and it, it just, I was in a deep depression. And we shared that with a mission. And when we came, when we went back with that same mission, and um, then when we came back for our next home assignment, when you guys, you know, after that first two and a half years of going back, they had a counselor in place too for all the missionaries couples to be seen by and he would talk to us and see how we're doing you know not just what are we doing in the mission field but how are you doing as a couple and how are you doing as individuals and is there anything we can do to help you do you need to be set up and he would do an evaluation to see do we need to set these people up for some counseling Mm -hmm. Um, and after our final term we realized um 
we were having troubles a family in general, but especially we were concerned with one of our kids having anxiety issues and um, having nervous tics and um, just we were very concerned about this one child. And so we talked to this counselor and said, you know, it's really nice that you interview us as a couple, but nobody sees our kids. And we really feel like sometimes our kids have issues and they have nobody to talk to about it except for us. And we may be the problem. They need somebody else to talk to. And we need somebody professional to talk to our kids and see how are you doing and look into getting help for them. And we explained what was happening with our children. And he was quick to set us up with the counseling in the area that we were going to be living in Washington. And our mission paid for it. They never even blinked an eye. Mm. And then he also talked to them about interviewing kids and the next family to come home within a month. Our mission had set up to have all the kids interviewed. Mm. from then on Mm. so it wasn't that our mission um was trying to neglect children or anything i always felt like our mission was taking great care of us but they didn't realize some of the issues we were having and so we spoke up and said this is an issue and they were quick to do something about it Mm -hmm. it didn't take a month to go through bureaucratic red tape to decide if we can afford to have every single person in a family be seen and talked to they just did it yeah and, you know, I think there's a big difference between just being somebody who complains or, or um, you know, fights against authority. There's a, there's a big difference between that and appealing to authority. Hmm. And uh, when you're, those who are over you or responsible for you um, don't see certain issues that you do see, it's, uh, it's just it's wise and healthy to advocate for yourselves or for your family and say, Hey, this is an issue. And, um, I think, uh, I think we as a, as a group, as a mission agency need to pay attention to this issue. And this is why, um, because in advocating for ourselves, we're actually advocating not only for ourselves, but for our our other, uh, colleague missionaries, because, uh, any changes that are affected are going to help them as well. Hmm. Right. So you kids didn't get to benefit from that. Because we were already home, mm-hmm. but everybody else did. And as far as I know, they still do that with all the mission families. Mm-hmm. And some of the families that came home, their kids were having issues, and they made sure they got help. Yeah. Right. And it's nice to hear that the mission organization was was able to adapt, it sounds like, pretty quickly and easily to say, hey, this is a need that this is a need that's come up, and we're going to meet it right now because that's when the that's when the need has been presented and then we're going to put some policies in place to change things for the future Um, right so yeah and our home assignment was only supposed to be six months and um they extended it some and then they told us you know you guys need to take all the time you need don't Mm -hmm. worry about it just Mm -hmm. take all the time you need Mm -hmm. because we want you well before you go back yeah and we didn't end up returning after all because of some of the issues that we were having but it was nice to know that they were willing to keep paying for counseling and keep paying for us to work on getting well before they sent us back. Yeah, right. I was thinking that another way that um, we advocated for our kids was that when we were coming back the final time in 2003, Amanda was getting ready to go to college, which was part of why it was her that I was concentrating on getting used to American culture. Mm -hmm. Because I thought, you know, the other three are younger, and for the most part, our life is going to continue on the same way, and we're going back in six months. So I didn't worry too much about you, which I wish I had spent more time getting you prepared. But I didn't realize we weren't we're not, we're not going to return. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but for Amanda, we were really realizing that when we left in six months, she would be going away to college and not have any of us. She wouldn't have, you know, the relatives that she'd lived close to, she didn't know. She'd be adjusting to go to a new school, going to school for the first time in her life, actually, because she'd always homeschooled. Um, it was a lot of adjustments. And so we asked the mission if they would send her to a reentry a reentry thing for missionary kids. Mm -hmm. And they did. Mm -hmm. And that was very helpful for her. I wish there had been something for the rest of you also, especially if we had known that we weren't going back. But the only reentry programs that were available at that time anyway um, were available to kids who were graduating from high school and going into college. So they didn't address the high schoolers who are going to be starting school and American culture, which I wish there were some. I don't know if there are now. Yeah. And that leads me into uh, my final question. Um, I've heard you guys talk a, little, a lot about the positives of um, growing up overseas and what that meant for your kids and your family. I've, uh, we talked a little bit about some of the costs that were associated with living overseas. And then you guys began talking about um, just advocating uh, for your family and how that looked for you and all the things that your the uh, sending organization did to help uh, help meet some of the needs that came up as they were coming up, which was excellent. I was going to ask, uh, what advice would you give to other families who are either looking at serving overseas or who are currently serving overseas and looking to do a good job at raising healthy children? What advice would you give um, to people like that? First of all, I guess I would just say, uh, don't be afraid when... Uh, when you're communicating with your sending agency to uh, to talk about your needs, um, they may be completely unaware. And if you don't make them aware of your needs, they uh, they will continue to be unaware. Right. So, abdicating is simply letting uh, letting your supervisors or your, your bosses or whatever, whoever they are, uh, let them know what your what your needs are and and how you could be more effective in serving. Mm. Uh, it's not it's not an issue of complaining or being bitter, but simply uh, uh, letting those who are supervising you know what you need in order to be healthy and effective in uh, in your ongoing ministry. And can I just say, you've been on both sides of this conversation, haven't you? Yeah, I have because <laughs> I've been a, a mission director as well, and so you know it's it was really helpful for me to have been a missionary. And now, and then, uh, being on the sending side uh, and the supervising side to know some of those needs, and uh, to to then listen to missionaries who are advocating for themselves and uh, expressing their needs and their concerns. Um, and I hope I listened well, uh, um, but because <laughs> I certainly learned well, you know how the importance of advocating for yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I. I think too as you advocate for yourself you need to be not ashamed of speaking up because every family is different and you may have some pretty unique needs in your family um, that maybe nobody else will ever need the need what you needed mm -hmm. don't be afraid of speaking up for your unique needs mm -hmm. because um, because you know don't just speak up if you think well mm -hmm. this is something everybody needs you mm -hmm. should speak up for your individual needs because you guys are individual. And if you um, don't learn to speak up for yourself and you hope people will figure it out or you get mad because nobody's seeing how awful this is, 
because you don't have what you need, well, you just need to learn to speak up, to just say it kindly that we have a need. Right, yeah. And this is what it is. And it may be a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. It may be an ongoing. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to think about how you advocate for yourselves or for your family. Um, it, and, and that comes back to the whole thing of attitude and, uh, and communicate clear communication. Because if you're just uh, whining or being angry, uh, chances are those who are responsible for your care are not going to hear you as well. Mm-hmm. But if you come in with a servant attitude and simply say, "This is, these are our needs, and this is what we're experiencing, I think it's a lot easier for your supervisors to hear you well and um, to affect change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also it helps if you are willing to answer their questions honestly. Because when we came back from our terms in Nigeria, they would spend, I don't know how many days they spent with us, two or, two or three days, did they, Jim? Mm-hmm. Um, talking to us and asking us questions, finding out, you know, how did ministry go? What happened? What was good? What was bad? All that kind of stuff. And um, one time when we came back, it was, I think, after our final term, they said, so how is your paycheck working for you? Uh, do you guys have enough? Or do you, you know, how's it working? And I told them, you know, they asked, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Um, I'm one of those people that if you ask a question, I'm going to give you an honest answer. And sometimes people are kind of shocked at my answers, but they asked. So I told them that, you know, it's very adequate. It's more than adequate when we live overseas because we can live on, I don't know, what was it? Six or $800 a month. Mm -hmm. And then we saved the rest. The problem was, is that that savings that we saved within the first month, we had spent it all trying to set up, um, household supplies and getting our kids in clothes that are appropriate for American life, you know, so that the clothes fit and they didn't have holes in the knees. Um, they had shoes for the appropriate for the weather. You have to outfit yourself. You got to get beds for everybody for the next six months. And by the time we were done, we didn't have anything left. And the, the, um, the salary we were making was enough to either rent an apartment and get ourselves, but we couldn't feed ourselves at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what we usually did is we stayed with my mother mm-hmm. in her little 800 square foot house and she mm-hmm. didn't even have enough bedrooms and you kids would kind of uh, sleep in the living room on sleeping bags. And I don't think other people realized what was happening, but they asked. So I told them. And after that, even while we were home, they changed. Uh, they changed so that everybody got a housing allowance that was more appropriate for where they lived on home assignment as a kind of a bonus for when you're on home assignment you have a housing allowance. So the mission actually kind of paid our rent so that we could have a place to live as a family um, and just be us and we could feed ourselves. We didn't have to make that choice. Yeah. You know? Because we we advocated uh, for ourselves, uh, the mission changed the policy and the practice mm -hmm. and increased the housing allowance for all the missionaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was one of the things, again, that they did very quickly and it affected us while we were home, that home assignment. We didn't have to wait for another two and a half years to see it happen. But that's just an example of if your mission asks you questions like, how are you doing? How are your finances? What are your struggles? Tell them. Be open and honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Be open, be honest, be real. Um, Be real. Ask ask with a positive attitude of someone who's communicating their needs and um, not coming from a place of bitterness, anger, resentment, that sort of thing. 
Correct. Correct. Because I don't think that they realize all the time, you know, when we live in America, we think, well, I'm living kind of tight here, but we don't realize how tight missionaries can get. And missionaries start sometimes thinking, well, this is God's work. You know, if he really wanted us to have more, he would supply more. But sometimes when people ask, that's when God's saying, you need to tell them what your needs are. (laughs) Yeah. You know, do, do other people empty out what the little that they've saved in their retirement fund so they can keep their kid in college? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. They come up with ways to pay, Mm -hmm. but sometimes missionaries are emptying out their reserve because they want to see their kids get a good education. Yeah. But they haven't said anything, so nobody knows. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I, yeah, I just really appreciate your, um, perspective and the perspective of people who have been on both sides both uh, you know serving overseas and then the sending um so you've seen uh, you've seen what it's like to be in a place of need and of expressing your needs and then also um helping other people find um find their voice and listening to them as they express their needs so i think that you have a, a somewhat unique uh, perspective on this issue and so i'm really happy to hear that um happy to hear the advice that you have to give and i'm also very grateful thank you again for putting us through therapy (laughs) obviously um and you know that's something that uh, i think really benefited our family and so it's really cool to hear um just to hear that story and it's helpful it's been helpful for me in recent months to process my own story and to hear about the ways that you've advocated for our family because that's encouraging to hear you know it's uh it's a way, it's a it's a way that you love your family by advocating for them so if you have kids who are tck's think about that and thank so thank you again um jim and lisa aka mom and papa for joining me on the show thank you for inviting us Stephen. we appreciate it man yeah thank you so much i love talking to you and i love hearing your story more too and being part of your story absolutely you've been listening to tck care the podcast with me stephen black as we share stories and strategies for supporting tck's hosting and producing tck care the podcast is a part of my ministry which is made possible by the generous support of my financial partners if you would like to make a one-time or recurring pledge please go to tckcare.com slash give. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate it on your favorite podcast app, and stay tuned for more TCK Care coming up next week.